Hey everyone. Today's book is a deep study of how and why things become popular, because I guess the author didn't know Galinda already gave us that in a song. It's Hitmakers by Derek Thompson. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and I used to think that the secret to having a hit was just to be super lucky. But after reading this book, I've learned that it also takes hard work and having famous friends. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. Now that I know how to make hits, you'll never catch me doing a books podcast again. Have fun being a bunch of book losers. <laughs> Kellen, if I don't have a hit by next week, please cut out this part in the edit. Hitmakers is about the science of popularity, which explains why the most popular kids at my school just freaking loved science. And this is The Book Pile. All right, quick announcement. This week, we actually started a partnership with the Treasury where if you rate and review the book pile, you do not have to pay income tax. This is a real thing. <laughs> also, a reminder, we're doing a live podcast of New Moon, October 29th in Provo, Utah. You can get tickets at improvbroadway.com. And I want to see if we can trick Stephanie Meyer into coming. <laughs> <laughs> And I will be performing for one night only on Friday, October 15th at Stand Up Live in Phoenix, Arizona. Two shows, 7 p.m., 9.30 p.m. Get tickets at StandUpLive.com. Finally, our next two books are A Prehistory of the Far Side and Atomic Habits. All right, without any further ado, here are our four favorite lessons from Hitmakers. All right, lesson one. Some products sell to who you want to be, and some sell to who you are. So this is a short one. He talks about why so many gyms charge you for a monthly membership instead of charging per workout. And he says it's because they make money off of who you want to be, not who you are. Wow. So you think you'll work out, and you're willing to pay for that in advance. And it's the same thing with people who get a New Yorker subscription and never read it. Basically, these businesses know you're not going to use it, but they're okay making money off your delusion. <laughs> <laughs> which I also bet is why gym memberships are so hard to cancel. <laughs> and then the flip side is there are companies who make money off of who you actually are. Like no one wants to smoke a pack a day <laughs> or to have like massive credit card debt. Or uh, when the Impossible Whopper came out, Burger King employees started recognizing me. <laughs> but companies make fortunes because they know that that's what we actually do. And there's actually this great book called Fishing for Fools that's all about that side of the equation. All right, lesson two. Sometimes we believe dumb stuff just because it rhymes. So Thompson says, quote, people trust beautiful words even when they're wrong. He cites the rhyme is reason effect, where musical language can create the illusion of rationality just because it's easy for us to understand. We don't have to think about it as much. He says, studies show, and I know that we always put an automatic asterisk whenever an author starts a sentence that way, because we heard that a thousand times in the book, Why We Sleep. <laughs> yes. He says, with that said, studies show. <laughs> <laughs> to his credit, he cites pretty much everything in this book. But in this moment, he says, studies show that people consider quips like, what sobriety conceals, alcohol reveals, more accurate than its non-rhyming version, what sobriety conceals, beer unmasks. <laughs> so just because it's more clumsy of a sentence 
uh, we are automatically more prone to distrust it, which is bizarre. So I collected a few aphorisms that I think we can all agree are actually wrong, (laughs) but we keep repeating them generation after generation because they're memorable, even if they're misleading. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. (laughs) I don't want to be insensitive here, but wouldn't it be great to say that to someone right after they lost their arm in a roller coaster accident? (laughs) Hey, what you need is a big hit of fructose. (laughs) Yeah. Hey. He's like, morphine. Like, hey, buddy, laughter's the best medicine. (laughs) So three guys get on a roller coaster. (laughs) So six arms get on a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) So here's some more. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. That was Aesop, right? <laughs> There's like zero logic to it, but it's the one line we all remember from the OJ trial, other than not guilty. Um, <laughs> I before E except after C. Like, that's just completely wrong. <laughs> like, it's it's right like 20% of the time, which doesn't even make it a rule. What other times is it wrong? Like with receipt, weird, forfeit, glacier, seas. Oh yeah, that's true, huh? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's like saying, S always makes a sound that sounds like S. <laughs> with exceptions. <laughs> How about a friend in need is a friend indeed? <laughs> like, hey, hey, Dave, I'm such a great friend. I need $4,000 from you. <laughs> indeed. Does that one mean that your friend starts sucking up as soon as they need your help? <laughs> I thought that when I used to own a truck, suddenly I had a lot of friends when one of them needed to move. <laughs> My friend's dad does handiwork, and he had this acquaintance who would always ask him to come and do, like, plumbing work for free. And then one time he needed legal advice, and he asked the same friend, and the guy was like, oh, that's my livelihood. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel bad for doctors. I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor, and I sent him uh, a picture one time when I got hit by a softball on my thigh, and the entire thing turned purple i sent him a photo of it and i was like is this okay and then i felt silly afterwards because like there's no way i'm the first person to do this um so (laughs) later on i asked another friend of mine who is a a doctor how often she gets photos from friends and family of horrible things on their bodies and she just goes every day So this principle that we tend to believe things just because they rhyme, it also applies to parallel sentences as well. Like, to be interesting, be interested. (laughs) Which I can't think of a more false statement. It's like, hey, that stalker out there in our bushes is so interesting. (laughs) Presidents are especially uh, fond of those quotes. They sound just like falsely profound even though they're incredibly easy to come up with. (laughs) There is nothing to fear but fear itself. And, you know, the Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I looked up a few other presidential campaign slogans from the past, and it's just crazy that some of these guys were the most powerful person on the planet. Because <laughs> some of them were so dumb. We poked you in 44, and we shall pierce you in 52. Who was that? That was Franklin wait, wait. Pierce. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. It's it's referring to stabbing by using two different names. It says nothing about <laughs> what he plans on doing as a president other than impaling the voters. And wait till I introduce my successor, Jeffrey Slaughter. <laughs> Some of them are dad jokes. Um Grant us another term was Ulysses S. Grant's. <laughs> Just <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Here's one that rhymes. Uh, ma, ma, where's my pa? So this, <laughs> this was a slogan that was used against Grover Cleveland because he may have fathered an illegitimate child. <laughs> Again, says nothing about what anyone's going to do for the country. Next year, we're Lincoln back up the union. <laughs> I love the apathy of I like Ike. Oh, okay. <laughs> Coming soon, an allied invasion of the electorate. The funniest switcheroo to me was that Ross Perot started with Ross for boss. And then, and then later, maybe when he got some feedback, he changed it to, I'm Ross and you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so to be in all seriousness, I think one of the best ones is President Reagan's, are you better off than you were four years ago? Was that his slogan? It was one of them. Wow. And But it's the only slogan that's an actual concrete question. Compare that to Jimmy Carter's, not just peanuts. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. If there is any slogan guaranteed to make me wonder if he's just peanuts. <laughs> I don't know if you're a historian, but that year he lost by just a little. <laughs> the Onion said Jimmy Carter's legacy is showing the map could look that red. <laughs> All right, so my, my takeaway for this whole point is just because you hear something that rhymes doesn't mean you should fall for it most of the times. <laughs> wow, I find that very credible. <laughs> I was thinking recently about how being vice president is like being a backup quarterback, where the best day of your life is everyone else's huge tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lesson three, going viral isn't that viral. So Thompson says, quote, it has become fashionable to talk about ideas as if they were diseases. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, today, people also talk about diseases like they're just ideas. <laughs> Wait, am I believing that just because it was a parallel statement? <laughs> <laughs> or did I make it a parallel statement so you would believe it? <laughs> All right. Some pop songs are infectious. 
products are labeled as contagious. Advertisers have developed a theory of viral marketing, which assumes that simple word of mouth can easily take a small idea and turn it into a phenomenon. So we tend to think of viral as sort of this family tree shape, right? Where one person shares with two other people, and those two people share it to four people, etc. And in a family tree, We all know what those people are sharing. But the reality is every time I see a family pedigree chart, I feel like it's a March Madness bracket where the man's last name always wins. (laughs) (laughs) Only in recent decades did we start getting upsets. (laughs) Or like ties where they somehow both advance. It is crazy. I know a guy who used to write for Veggie Tales. He's one of the hosts of the Babylon Bee podcast, and his name is Ethan Nicole. And he says that half the time that people hear his name, even though it's two extremely common names, they think that they misheard his last name because it's a girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> it's again the dogs are boys and cats are girls. Right. So we think of virality in pop culture as this family tree shape. But the reality is most of the things that, quote, go viral are mostly perpetuated by a single person who has millions of followers rather than millions of people who have one. So I guess it really is like a family tree. If the tree started with one unmarried person and they had hundreds of thousands of children... (laughs) So if your family tree has Genghis Khan. (laughs) Genghis Khan for sure went viral. So in 2012, (laughs) in a study done by researchers at Yahoo, they found that 95% of viral messages on Twitter came from the source or from one degree of separation. So, for example, when Justin Bieber tweets out just the word hello, and it gets 3 million likes. It's not because that tweet went viral. It's because he already has over 100 million followers and 3% of them liked it. Mm -hmm. And then one degree of separation means that something bigger than the source retweeted it. Again, it didn't become spread by word of mouth. It just got the attention of one big mouth. So one of my tweets that's gotten the most attention is, it's far from being my best joke. We'll see. (laughs) So right now my average tweet gets around 30 likes. But one day after getting off a Southwest flight, I just tweeted, quote, I order ginger ale on airplanes like they don't sell it anywhere else. And it got almost a thousand likes just because it was retweeted by Jen Kirkman, who's a comic, a comic who doesn't even know who I am. She just happened to see it. She hasn't retweeted anything since, but she has 250,000 followers. Hmm. And not that a thousand likes is significant in the overall Twitterverse, but for me, it was 30 times the amount I usually get. So my biggest tweet happened because of one person. They do talk about that, how like Carly Rae Jepsen, her big break happened in large part because Justin Bieber tweeted about her. Mm-hmm. And Lord's big break happened in large part because Sean Parker made a playlist with royals on it. And so it is interesting that these things that we think of as spreading by word of mouth, often it was just a big megaphone somewhere. Mm-hmm. So word of one mouth. <laughs> so the takeaway here is thanks to everyone who's recommended this podcast to their friends, especially... 
to those people with millions of friends. <laughs> okay, lesson four. Beware the power of familiarity. So I want to start with a personal story that I think we've all experienced. So sometimes I'm working on a piece of writing and I get to the end and read it. And I'm like, okay, I think this is pretty good. And I submit it or record it. And then a few months later, I stumble upon that same piece of writing. And I'm like, how is this so bad? <laughs> and I think part of what happens is when I'm writing it, it's so familiar and familiarity feels good. So I think the writing is good. But then later, once I've forgotten things, there's no familiar feeling to hide all my terrible mistakes. <laughs> and I'm sure in two months, I'll be like, oh, I explained that idea so badly. <laughs> <laughs> so the author makes this argument in the book, which I'm probably oversimplifying, but he, he basically says, you know, sometimes we think something is true or beautiful when it's actually just familiar, mm. uh, what Kellen would call the Goonies effect. <laughs> yes. So look at politics, for instance. I think we all have beliefs that if we stop and think, we're like, I don't know why I believe this, except for many years, people on my team have told me it's true. <laughs> The author had a friend who worked at Fox who said Fox News had to make their logo in the bottom corner rotate because viewers who watched all day were complaining the logo became seared into their TV. <laughs> or look at art. Sometimes we seem to like art just because we've already seen it. Mm -hmm. So he, he looks at the seven biggest impressionists like Monet and Renoir. And he argues, look, they didn't take off because they were the seven best painters. There were other great impressionists. But these seven got a ton of early exposure at this huge exhibition, and that kind of snowballed over time. It's like how uh, very few people just love Biden, but everyone knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a, there's a study that found that if you expose people really often to the less famous Impressionists, they can start liking those paintings instead just because they're now familiar. So I, I think it helps all of us to ask, is this thing beautiful, or is it true, or is it just familiar? He talks about how Trump essentially had a $3 billion presidential campaign with all wow. of the energy that so many news outlets gave uh -huh. him. Just all the free coverage. Right. Just the fact that he was in everyone's faces so much uh -huh. brought that familiarity to the voting booth. Yeah. If you do five months of coverage of Trump wanting a border wall, then for every voter who wants a border wall, you just gave him five months of ads. <laughs> I, I'm going to push back about 20%. I don't think that this is fully a negative thing, the idea that a lot of the art that we're drawn to is art that we're already familiar with. It just is more enjoyable when you hear songs that are familiar to you. And I get that what the author is saying is that it doesn't uh, objectively mean that one painting is better than the other just because one is more familiar to us. Um, but nobody wants to go to a U2 concert where they started off saying, all right, we're only playing new stuff. <laughs> like, That's why Apple had to force that album onto all of our phones. Right. <laughs> we want to hear the old stuff. We want to buy the new stuff later if we feel like it. But nobody goes to a concert thinking, I hope I've never heard anything that they've played. Unless it's Maroon 5. <laughs> I want to give pushback to your pushback, which is that I actually agree with what you're saying. I'm not saying that us liking familiar things is bad. I'm just saying we should be careful that it doesn't fool us so that we don't believe false things just because we've heard them a bunch, or we don't disregard good art just because it's not familiar to us yet. Ah, uh, yes. Please tell your friends about the book pile. <laughs> <laughs> All right, random facts. 
So he has this great line where he says, some people are excited about disliking acclaimed works because they look forward to forming a counterintuitive opinion about a book that people are talking about. And I'm like, oh, no, I think that's me. But it reminded me of two great quotes. There's this Nietzsche quote where he said, we praise or blame according to whether the one or the other offers a greater opportunity for our power of judgment to shine out. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's solid. I mean, I don't agree with it, but... <laughs> yeah, what's your hot take? <laughs> Another one is from La Rochefoucauld, who said, Those who obstinately oppose the most widely held opinions more often do so because of pride than lack of intelligence. They find the best places in the right set already taken, and they do not want back seats. (laughs) (laughs) Along that same line, he talks about how a book like Fifty Shades of Grey, people didn't end up buying it in droves because it was good. They bought it because they wanted to be part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. And we want you to have conversations about this podcast, so please subscribe and recommend it to your friends if you want to be popular. Are you Galindaing them? <laughs> he tells a story about how the, an HBO executive, Michael Lombardo, was hesitant to have a show like Game of Thrones on their network because they've never done anything with you know dragons and magic. But one day he stopped by the Equinox Gym in Santa Monica. Uh, and he spotted D.B. Weiss, you know, producer on Game of Thrones. Weiss was on a treadmill reading Game of Thrones, and he had all these notes in it. And that's the point when Lombardo decided that he would greenlight the show because he saw how passionate the show's creators were. But I just wonder, like, do you think that Weiss actually followed Lombardo into the gym? And then he took a shortcut over, like, to the cardio section and plopped open his book. And he was like, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I'm just just really passionate about this book. (laughs) Come season eight, Lombardo sees Weiss drunk and passed out under the dumbbell rack. And he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Speaking of Sean Parker, do you think that Weiss pulled a Sean Parker? Remember when Sean Parker changed the Facebook to just Facebook? I wonder if Weiss to George R. R. Martin, if he was like, look, I know you spent decades writing one of the most famous fantasy series of all time, but I got a few notes uh, (laughs) that I made while I was on a Stairmaster. And the first one being, I feel like calling it a Game of Thrones is way too long. We don't want people to think there's other Games of Thrones. (laughs) So the author has a personal writing mantra, which is, a reader's favorite subject is the reader. (laughs) And it reminds me of what Will Wright, the designer of SimCity, said in his masterclass. He said, you will never go broke by basing your game around the narcissism of the player. So he has this great part where he shows how repetition is part of our most famous historical speeches, and we've already talked about this a bit, but just some of the examples. We shall fight them on the beaches, we shall fight them on the landing grounds, government of the people, by the people, for the people. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Mm. Human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights. Drill, baby, drill. (laughs) I was confused that that one made the cut. It's like how Citizen Kane is in the National Film Registry, and so is Shrek. (laughs) All right, to recap, our four favorite lessons from Hitmakers. One, some products sell to who you want to be, and some sell to who you are. Two, we sometimes believe dumb stuff just because it rhymes. 
Three, going viral isn't that viral. Four, beware the power of familiarity. And five, you two sucks. (laughs) 